Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. My man, have a good weekend, Anderson. Thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Repeating lies is a very effective way to sell them. And too often with Trump, he gets a pass. He doesn't get checked every time he says something that's untrue. But right now, especially, he must. The only thing worse than this president's inaction is his active deception about the reality. And this statement from the president of the United States is a lie. A pandemic which is disappearing, it's going to disappear, reason cases are up because we're doing one of the reasons. We're doing a lot of testing. The only thing that has disappeared is his credibility on this issue. Please know that this is the truth. If you don't socially distance, if you don't wear a mask when you can't socially distance, if you don't practice good hygiene in and outside your house, this virus will not slow down, let alone go away. Believe me, I learned this the hard way. I do not want you to go through what I and my family went through. So take no comfort in his words. We have cases because we are mismanaging this situation. The proof, look at hospitalizations. Why are they going up in so many places if it's just about testing? This is not about counting. It is about contagion. It is what it is, Mr. President, a pandemic. And it will keep beating us until we get rapid testing everywhere we need it. Don't waste our time on these lies. Tell us you get this. Tell us that you will get rapid testing like they did in the UK. Better than that. Make that your message, not this misinformation. Your inaction on a testing plan is killing us. The CDC predicts almost a thousand of us will die a day on average within the next three weeks. It doesn't have to be like this. And instead of dealing with the situation for what it is, He's trying to distract you with fake news, not on our watch. This ugly deception that he wants you to think he's about to do a big move to help you. He's going to do a big move. He says he's pursuing an executive order. Okay, this was the news today. Trump says he's pursuing executive order to require all health insurance companies to cover pre-existing conditions and says... This has never been done before. Listen, I'm not making it up. We will be pursuing a major executive order requiring health insurance companies to cover all pre-existing conditions for all of its customers. This has never been done before. Have you no shame? Now, he happens to be right. We can find no record 
of a president ever doing this before, lying to this degree to you about your existing legal rights. Pre-existing condition protections currently exist in Obamacare, the law of the land for now. Why do I say that? Because to make this worse, not only is he lying to you about giving you something you already have, he is actively trying to take it away. He is suing right now to try to overturn the ACA, Obamacare, and that would get rid of the pre-existing condition protection that he's saying he's going to give you that you already have unless he wins and takes it away. And it's not just him. He was reading those words. Whoever you are, how could you even write that? You know it's a lie. He needs to take that BS to Thailand. Go bury it in Yosemite Park. This president literally can't speak the truth. He can't say words the right way, let alone tell you what they mean. And he lies about what matters most. This isn't I'm the best president. This is the best tax package ever. That's politics. This is perfidy. This is a breach of sacred trust to protect people. Trying to sell you on a false reality so you send your kids to schools that count, can't count cases. Deceiving you. Wanting you to believe that kids are almost immune. Every statistic, he says, shows kids are built to handle this. It's a lie. And it's a dangerous lie. Who lies about kids? The country tragically just lost a beautiful seven-year-old boy in Georgia with no underlying health conditions. We have more about that in a moment. But of course you have a right to be scared as parents. My wife and I, we're worried. These hybrid plans, man, they seem like the worst of both worlds. Of course, the data shows this hits adults harder than kids on average. It doesn't mean they're immune. Think about being that family. God forbid, there but for the grace go we. Parents mourning their own child? And they're not the first. People have lost kids to COVID. Kids have gotten very sick. Kids are making other people sick. You see this picture? This is out of Georgia also. A state that was bending backwards their Governor Kemp to have Trump say, look, they're a good example. They're reopening. Ready or not? Look at this. I don't blame the kids. What do you think they're going to do? If you tell them things are as normal, they'll act as normal. Many of them aren't wearing masks. Of course, they're not six feet apart. Don't blame them. That's on us. That's on the people in charge in Georgia. That's why so many of us are unsure about whether they want to send their kids back to school for in-person learning. I want to, but I'm not exposing my kid to that. And what about their teachers? What about their staff? What about the family at home of those kids? Now, I don't know if you heard about the controversy, but the kid who took this picture got suspended for it. Not supposed to use your phone. Oh, really? What about the reality they captured? On prime time, you get rewarded for exposing the truth. It was good trouble that this person got in. And you will hear her story. Why? Because I don't want any of our kids to have to be put in a position like this. And we have a president who is encouraging it with lies and inaction. This would be okay if we could test all those kids every damn day and get the results fast. He can make that happen, and he isn't. 
Now, at the opposite end of accountability and responsibility, you have my brother in New York. He has made a lot of difficult choices. He hasn't been perfect. Nobody is. We've had problems here. We've had failures. But he was able to say today that all school districts are cleared to reopen. But, you know, not to, you know, throw water on my brother's own parade, but be very clear. He didn't open the schools. This is going to be very case by case. I don't know if I have comfort having my kid go back to school. He said they are all eligible to be open. There's no blanket restriction, but it's going to be community by community. There are requirements that they'll have to meet. Districts are going to have to submit their plans. Masks are going to have to be worn at all times if you can't socially distance. This was the state. Remember, New York got its ass kicked by COVID. We were where you didn't want to be. And now, even though it had everything going against it, travel hub, tons of density, more people in need than it had requirements to meet them, didn't have a lot of money in the budget for this. Now, every region is well below its infection limit. And if infection rates spike before scheduled reopenings, Andrew said, the governor says he's going to have to revisit things. (laughs) He better, right? I mean, the whole point is for us to be healthy. And look, I think his decision today comes with risks. No question about them. So let's talk about the realities here, okay? And I believe in staying with sources that I know I can trust so that what they tell you is worth acting on, all right? And that's why I have infectious disease specialist uh, with Vanderbilt University, Dr. William Schaffner, on the show as often as I do. I know his credentials. I've tracked him over time on this. Uh, nobody's, nobody knows everything, but he asks the right questions and he's worried about the right things. So, doctor, thank you for being a gift uh, to the audience and to me, frankly, when I was sick during this time. Good to be with you, Chris. And listen, here's a reality. It may be three hours early, but congratulations on entering the second half century of your life's adventure. Happy birthday, pal. Look, they'll have to be better scientists than you to keep me alive for another five years, let alone 50. But thank you very much, uh, Doc. Uh, Let's just uh, clear up a little things. You know, you know health policy very well. Um, this is an easy fact check. Pre-existing condition protection exists right now in the law. This administration is fighting it in court. He's not giving us anything with an executive order right now the way he says he is. Isn't that the truth? Uh, It's apparently the truth. I'm kind of baffled. Maybe existing conditions need the protection of an executive order against members of his own party who (laughs) want to repeal it. I'll take all the help I can get to keep those in. You know, when I was an intern, I thought by now we would have universal health care for everyone. Have gray hair. We're not there yet. We certainly don't want to move backwards. Now, in terms of opening schools, you see that picture down there in Georgia. I don't blame the kids. If you tell them to go back, they're going to do what they normally do. What is the obvious set of factors that pops out to you in this scenario of this type of proximity and population? Well, we're all concerned, right? Some places can be more confident than others, including your own state of New York, because you people have started as a hot spot and turned it into a cold spot. And the countries that have opened schools successfully have been those where they have controlled the community spread. So then they can open the schools and even they have done it carefully. But across the country, 
We have varying conditions in the communities. For the most part, this virus is out of control. So I understand the anxiety of the parents and we grandparents, we have a high schooler going back and someone going to college. We're worried about all that. One more question. Is it true that the deciding factor um, in terms of what we can control when it comes to school has to be rapid testing? That the only way to control a population like that is to have very short interval turnaround on what's going on with that big a population so that you can make adjustments in real time, that you can't wait seven, eight days. If you don't have rapid testing that gets you a test back in a matter of hours, you can't do it. That would be beautiful. They're doing that for the National Football League. Why can't we do it for the National Scholastic League, right? That's what we would like to do. All right, Dr. Schaffner, thank you very much. I'm telling you, I'm going to ask you about schools a lot going forward because I see it as a metaphor for everything. Our kids matter the most. You can't go to work if your kid's going to be home. Our economy's not going to get back. And God forbid kids start getting sick. You think we've seen disruption from this disease, this virus already. We haven't seen anything yet if it starts affecting our kids. Doctor, be well and thank you. All right, now look, I'm telling you, we all have a role in this. And I am not going to let the president say things that are dangerous and untrue, especially about our kids, because we cannot have the level of confidence he wants us to have. And I want it, by the way. We all want it. I want to believe that my Mario, who had it already with the antibodies, he's going to be good. But I don't know that. My two girls, they haven't had it. I don't know what's going to happen to them. What if they catch a bad case? It happens. COVID just claimed its youngest victim in Georgia. The kid was seven. We have the mayor of Georgia's biggest city here, Atlanta. She had COVID. Her family had COVID. She's fighting the fight politically about it. What does she envision for schools moving forward there? Is safety the top priority? What does that look like? And how is she doing, by the way? Looks great, but let's talk to the mayor next. Listen, nobody wants anything bad to happen anywhere in this country, or you shouldn't. But when you reopen without being smart, without putting safety first, you will have problems. It is an immutable truth in a pandemic. If you put people together in ways that you can't count and you can't keep them safe, they're going to be sick. Breaking news from Georgia. Another problem in another school district. This time, it's Cherokee County, just north of Atlanta. It has only been a week. One week, 260 kids, eight teachers have been told to quarantine because kids tested positive and the return on the test, there was a lag. And this is what happens. COVID positivity rates are going up in major cities all across this country. And yes, You may be saying right now, wait, didn't I hear this about Georgia? You did, but it was a different county. It was Gwinnett County. And that was 200 something teachers and staff. This is now another group of 200 in a different county and it's students. This is what you risk. The White House task force coordinator, Deborah Burks, warned in a private call with state and local officials this week that nine cities in particular are on their radar. You can see that includes Atlanta, 
where the mayor is in a legal face-off with the governor over mask mandates. Can you believe that anyone in charge still has a problem with telling people to wear masks if they can't socially distance? Governor Kemp is against them, even when it comes to schools. That is a smart idea to one person, Trump. Now, he says it should be up to local officials. Why give them the choice on something like this? It can only help. But this is what we all saw. This is what happens. When you leave it to them, when you leave it to people, there's risk. And here's the reality. Kids cramming a hallway. I don't see any masks in the picture. And remember, I know the president told you it's going to disappear. He's lying. I know he told you kids are basically immune. He's lying. Kids get sick, just not as much as we do. But over the age of 10, they can be as contagious as we can. Why did a seven-year-old boy have to die in Georgia just this week? No underlying conditions. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms joins me right now. It is good to see you, but I must say, I am very sad about these circumstances, Mayor. Um, That picture of that high school is scary. Um, I don't know what the numbers are in that county. I don't know why they felt this level of confidence, but I wouldn't put my kid in there, would you? Well, Chris, kids are kids. I was out yesterday. I don't blame the kids. I don't blame the kids. Go ahead, Mayor. Well, no, what, what I was going to say is I was out with two of my kids yesterday, and I watched them fidget and take their mask on and off. So there's only so much that we can expect from kids. That's why, as adults, we have to make sound decisions. And it's no surprise that we are where we are in this state. Um, but when you look at those kids in the hallways and you look at the kids not wearing masks at school, think of every bus driver and custodian and cafeteria worker and teacher in that school who's also been exposed. And it's frightening and, and it terrifies me to think of where we will be two weeks from now. And they go home. They go home. Who's, who's at home? Is mom diabetic? Is grandma there? Uh, is there an auntie around? You know, do they have a kid brother or sister that has a, a vulnerability? When you said this to the governor, what is the state of his rationale when you say, look, it was Gwinnett. Now it's Cherokee. What do you think is going to happen here? Well, in some things, the governor has deferred to local control. When we were back in the spring and decisions needed to be made as to whether or not school systems would close down, he deferred to local control. He's continuing to do that as it relates to whether or not the schools are opening. Atlanta public schools have decided to go the first nine weeks virtual only, which is absolutely the right decision. Um, But as it relates to masks, Uh, The governor wants to control who can and and can't mandate masks in our city. So we are in mediation with the governor right now. I'm encouraged by that mediation. He acknowledges that wearing masks saves lives. uh, But we now have to just iron out whether or not local jurisdictions will have the ability to mandate them. The local jurisdiction should be the one suing, not the president on their behalf. He doesn't even have the standing. The local jurisdiction would, but forget about the law. This is about practicality. When you heard about this uh, little boy in Georgia, of course he is the exception, not the rule. I'm not trying to magnify it, but tell that to his family. 
you know, the idea that kids are immune just isn't true. I know how worried you were about your own kids. I know how worried I was about mine. Just because a doctor says they'll probably be better off. That's not very heartening, especially when you hear about something like this. That was absolutely heartbreaking. My youngest kids are, my twins are, are nine. And I've shared before, all of my kids have asthma. This child didn't have any underlying health conditions. And it's frightening and it's frustrating that we are still here. Our kids were left school in March, mid-school year. They left in March. We had the spring, we had the summer, and we're still in the same spot, but on many days we're even worse. Our ICUs are at capacity. We weren't at capacity, quite at capacity back in the spring because we had shut things down and people weren't out uh, in traffic and having car accidents and having many other issues that send them into the ER. Now we have businesses open as usual. We have schools open on top of a pandemic. Georgia's positivity rate exceeds 10%, therefore remains in the red zone, a federal designation for states with more than 100 new cases per 100,000 residents. Uh, that is supposed to be a signal that you're supposed to be slowing down, not accelerating. Mayor, it is not easy to tell people that they must forbear. It is not easy to say that you're going to have to have kids at home um, for school. It screws up everything in the household, as you know. Um, but that is leadership, because if they get sick, They'll never forget who put their kids in harm's way. Madam Mayor, be well, and it's good to see you looking well. I wish the best to your family and your husband. And happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. I don't look a day over 57. Take care, Mayor. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. All right, now, that picture that we showed you from the high school, we wouldn't have it if one of the students didn't feel she needed to show you this. And they wanted to suspend her. God bless Congressman John Lewis. He talked about good trouble. May not have been the thing that was by the letter of the law, but it was important to make things more just. We have her tonight and she should be rewarded because we would never be driving the coverage of how the risk is being made manifest without this young woman. She's gonna join us to talk about her school and her experience next. Look, we all know Schools are in a tough position. Every parent wants their kid back in them, ideally, right? But all of us are checked by the same instinct. I got to keep my kids safe. They can't even count the tests. The tests come back. It takes so long. That's why this photo is going viral, is all over the place, because it captures our fear. As far as the eye can see, kids all over each other are not a mask in sight. Now, I'm not mad at the kids. Kids are going to do what you allow them to do. The picture was posted online by a concerned student. After it exploded on social media, the school suspended her. They should be suspending themselves for allowing this. Now, since then, the school backed off. But that doesn't take the onus of what they're allowing. This photo is the fear. Let's talk to the student who took the picture. I want her to be rewarded. I want her to be recognized for this. Hannah Waters, a sophomore at North Paulding High School outside Atlanta. Good for you, young truth warrior. Uh, I know that this came with some drama that uh, you were worried about, but tell us, when you saw the scene in your high school, connect the dots for us about what you thought to do about it and why. I was very concerned for 
everyone in that building and everyone in our county because this is obviously nowhere near safe. And especially because there's been multiple people getting tested or multiple people testing positive inside the county from August 3rd when we opened back up. So you took the picture, put it on social media. What was the response? The, I did not expect it to blow up so fast, but it really did. I had posted it after school hours. It was probably around 15 minutes after dismissal at the most. And I want to say 10 minutes, 20 minutes after I posted it, I had already had multiple reporters asking to the rights to the photo and the story behind it. Make them pay. No. So then what happened with the school <laughs> when they when, when they decided to come and take action? Uh, what was that like? How did that affect you and your parents? It was Wednesday afternoon, right about at noon, and they had pulled me out of class and I knew what it was about. I knew that they figured out it was me and we talked about it. I wrote a statement and they informed me that I broke three policies in the Paulding County Code of Conduct and they gave me five days of out of school suspension. What'd your parents say? Uh, we fought it as my my mom got the call when I was sitting in the principal's office and she, well, the assistant principal referred her back to the principal so she could talk to him about it. And why did they relent? Um, they, so she, they referred her to the principal and he never called her. She called him twice and never got a response. And it wasn't until the next day where he said he would get back to her today. And earlier this morning, at around 9.30, he called her and told them that he was sorry, he apologized, and he deleted the suspension completely. So good for you. You called it good trouble, obviously in honor of the just recently passed Congressman John Lewis, where sometimes uh, you have to bend some of what they're telling you is right to show what's ultimately really right. And good for you in having the bravery to do that. Let me ask you, how do you feel about going back to school if it's still that way? Especially after that, that kid just died, the seven-year-old. It's very upsetting that it's going to take people dying to get people's attention because if people shouldn't have to die for people to be worried about it. People shouldn't have to be risking their lives to go to work, to go to school even just stay home because if your kid goes to school and they come back with it, you're going to catch it because who wears masks around their family? So it, you shouldn't have to risk your life going to and from work, going to the grocery store. And I just am very hopeful that we can take more precautions going from work and school and everything of the sorts. How old are you? 15, 16? I'm 15. Boy, oh boy, to have a 15 try and make sense in a way that your own governor isn't uh, is really something. As a kid your age, how do you make sense of the adults around you not doing what seems like such common sense to you, like not making you wear a mask, like not changing how it is at school during class change periods like that to suit an obvious need? How, does he, how do you process that as a kid your age? I mostly know that even these things, even though these things aren't enforced, I know that what I'm doing is right. And I'm not only helping myself and my, the people at home, but I'm helping everyone around me. And that really kind of motivates me to keep on doing it because I have 
um, immunocompromised people at home. And I myself have had asthma since I was a kid. So it really does motivate me to help not only my family, but everyone around me. Listen, Hannah, you are a brilliant demonstration of something they will never teach you at any level of school. You have character and you took a risk and you saw it through because you knew you were doing the right thing. Even if they hadn't removed the suspension, you've given a window into the reality there that may change the reality, if not for those kids there, because you've got some stubborn people on the local level. That, that principal's got way bigger problems than your suspension. Um, maybe it'll make others make different decisions for their kids in their schools. So thank you. Be healthy. God bless you and your family. Say hello to them for us. And thank you for letting you do the interview. Thank you for your time. All right, Truth Warrior. Take care. Great, huh? 15. Knows what's right in a way her own governor doesn't. That's an American right there. Another huge concern. Russia is doing what it does. You want to talk about it is what it is? They're coming at us again, just like all the intel people that Trump put in power tell you. We know they're going to do it. How do we know? His intel people tell us. They've briefed lawmakers. There is an effort afoot to derail Biden's bid on behalf of Trump. Now, he says nobody's been tougher. Show it. Prove it. Do something now to beat back the foreign interference. Tom Friedman, brilliant mind, open eyes, clear head on an obvious situation. Next. Of course, Russia is trying to hurt America again by interfering in our election. We knew that this is what they were going to do. The intel officials told us this. Congress was charged with finding ways to make it stop. And frankly, it faded a little too quickly with the fates of impeachment. Once it became really not about Trump and whether he would stay or go, really, the security of the process has just not been an equal concern. And yet here we are, months from an election, and according to our top election security official, Russia is at it and surprise. They're trying to denigrate Joe Biden's White House bid. The president of the United States, Donald John Trump, responded this way moments ago. I think that the last person Russia wants to see in office is Donald Trump, because nobody's been tougher on Russia than I have ever. That's not uh, well, I don't care what anybody says. That's the problem. You don't care what anybody says because you're only focusing on what you think looks good for you. If they wanted you to be president, why would they go after your opponent? And who cares if they want you to be president? Your job is to stop their efforts. Let's get some perspective from Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times columnist and author of the best-selling book, Thank You for Being Late, which isn't a bad title for the president on this pandemic and the Russia threat, Tom Friedman. Good to see you, young man. Good to be with you. So what is the obvious move right now? Well, you know, Chris, uh, I've been waiting for this move for a long time. Um, if uh, I were advising uh, the president, the administration, I would simply tell him to call up Putin and, and tell him the following. If we catch Russia in any way, in any place, interfering in our election between now and election day, we will throw out your ambassador. We will close every consulate. We will break off diplomatic relations because our elections are the core of our democracy. They are sacrosanct. 
And if you attack those, you are attacking the most valuable thing we have. And frankly, we're very happy to cut relations with you. All you make is vodka, caviar, and nesting dolls. You are nothing but a third world country with nuclear weapons, and we are very happy to cut off relations with you. We will never let you interfere in our elections again. Which part of this sentence don't you understand? Two questions. One, can we do that? Can we stop them from interfering? And two, do they care about those strong words? Oh, yeah, I think they would care if we closed their embassy, um, uh, uh, closed off economic context. What do we need any economic context with them anymore? All they, all they export, really, Chris, is oil, gas, caviar, vodka, nesting dolls in trouble. That is what Putin exports. And we don't need to be buying it at all. They need us so much more than we need them. And I don't know why we keep rolling over for this. I don't know why you and I don't pick up the New York Times tomorrow and see all of Vladimir Putin's billions of dollars of hidden wealth uh, displayed on the front pages of the New York Times with every bank account. Two can play at this game, and surely we can play at this game. And why we sit back and, and month after month, year after year, say, Russia's doing this, Russia's going to do that, they surely must be laughing at us at KGB headquarters. It's time to play hardball with them. So what's the answer to your own question? Why do you think Trump, who always seems to be spoiling for a fight, just not with this guy, I still stand by uh, the statement that Helsinki was my most embarrassing moment as an American, let alone as a journalist, hearing the president throw our institutions under the bus and say he believed Putin about interference on the world stage. But what do you come up with about why Trump plays it this way? Well, I don't know whether you know, Putin has something financial on him or not. I've, I have no idea. But it's clear that Trump admires dictators. He admires uh, what he sees as powerful men. And he knows that to the extent that Putin's going to intervene, he's going to intervene uh, because he wants Trump reelected because he sees him as a patsy. Um, that, you know, that, that's very clear. And I think, Chris, we should understand what I believe Russia will try to do in this election. It's not only whatever they can do to, to get a Trump reelected. But they will try to delegitimize the results. What Russia would love to see is a chaotic American election that delegitimizes democracy in the biggest and most important democracy in the world. That is what serves Putin's interest most. Two more quick things. One, why do you think he sleeps on testing instead of embracing rapid testing, uh, making it a MAGA point and really pulling out progress here right before the election? Trump, you know, it's really um, inexplicable to me, Chris, for a very simple reason. Um, um, it's the virus, stupid. And what I mean by that is if the virus goes down, the economy comes back. If the virus goes down, kids go back to school. If the virus goes down, more restaurants get open, more places. It's always been about the virus. And why he doesn't make that the absolute centerpiece of his policy, why he wouldn't make mask wearing a, a national law, because it would only serve the interests of our economy, our country, and for him, his chances of reelection is simply inexplicable to me. Last thing, Tom, if I were to say right now, and I never would, Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. If I were to say that, I would be apologizing my ass off for like the next three days, and rightly so, and that would be at home, let alone on television. Joe Biden says something like that. How can people have confidence that his head is screwed on tighter than Trump's? Why, well, I, I really don't, don't know, Chris, you know. Um, I uh, I don't know where that comment came from. Came and, from his and, mouth. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm asking which, why is yeah, what the which question part of his brain. You know, I, I, I really don't know. I, I couldn't answer. You know, the truth is, Chris, that, that uh, both Biden and Trump uh, have a certain kind of Teflon. But each guy's Teflon is different. Um, Trump's Teflon is mud. When you're covered in mud, you throw more mud at the guy and nothing sticks. It's not visible. The whole notion of a stain on Donald Trump is like an oxymoron. Biden's uh, Teflon up to now is people think he is a decent person. So when he says some kind of crazy stuff sometime or stuff that doesn't seem to add up, um, people give him the benefit of the doubt because they think at at heart he's a good and decent man. But I, I don't think he should test that Teflon um, uh, much further. Let's put it that way. I think what I, I think the test for him is, uh, especially as a contrast to Trump, is if you don't believe this, tell me that. Tell me, here's what I was trying to say. And yep. maybe I have this wrong, but my feeling is that uh, the whatever the black community is tends to be more of a monolith politically. And the Latino, I don't know what his rationale is, but that that's what it is. He has to do better than Trump in these situations. Can't double down on it. Can't run away from it. Can't have better people apologize for it. He's got to explain to the people because that's what we're craving. Somebody who's straight with us. Tom Friedman, you always are. You are a blessing on this show. You're part of my birthday gift as far as I'm concerned every time you come on. Thank you very much. Be well. All right. So Russia is messing with our election. And I don't know what we're doing about it. Uh, Because instead of like seeing some big effort mounted, we seem to have our own president messing with us as well. Messing with us on the pandemic and messing with the U.S. Postal Service. And it does seem like he's messing with them for his own benefit in the election. Democrats are voicing concerns about certain changes at the USPS. What are they and why? We have the ranking member of the Senate committee, which oversees the Postal Service. What is he upset about? What is his proof? And what is the fix? Next. The biggest risk that we have is mail-in ballots, because with the mail-in ballots called universal mail-in ballots, it's much, it, it is a much easier thing for a foreign power, whether it's Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. It's much easier for them to forge ballots and send them in. It's much easier for them to cheat. Their efforts to this point have been largely cyber. And the one thing we know for sure makes it easier for foreign actors to mess with us is when our president seems to invite it. There is no evidence of any of what he just suggested happening. There's plenty of evidence of them messing with us online and planting messages and memes, compromat, right? All that crap we had to learn about the last time around. And now he's saying the same stuff. I don't know why. I don't know why. They're really afraid of me. So say it to them. Tell them what you're going to do if they keep doing this. Tell them what you're going to do if you catch them. Instead, he's doing the same kind of thing to our postal service. He is trying to undermine your confidence in the ability for the Postal Service to process ballots. Let me ask you something. You ever get a bill late from the Postal Service? They handle lots of stuff all the time. They can handle this, okay? The question becomes whether what some see as new delays at the USPS are attributable to Trump and the Postmaster General he appointed. In other words, Is Trump creating a risk that he's actually making sure comes true? 
As a result, top Democrats are now calling for an investigation into Postmaster General Louis DeJoy for making sweeping policy changes there. In a letter to the Postal Service Inspector General, they say it's led to slower and less reliable mail. And quote, these changes threaten the well-being of millions of Americans that rely on the Postal Service for delivery of Social Security checks, prescriptions, and everyday mail of all kinds. And they appear to pose a potential threat to mail-in ballots and the 2020 general election. Senator Gary Peters is the ranking member of the Homeland Security Committee that's looking into this. Welcome to primetime, Senator. Great to be with you, Chris. Thank you. What is the strength of your case at this point? Well, right now it's an investigation. We want to look into what we are hearing. Certainly I'm hearing from constituents uh, across the state of Michigan that are saying over the last few weeks in particular, they've just seen uh, the mail delivery delayed. Uh, they're waiting longer for very important mail. You mentioned some of that uh, from our letter. We've got uh, senior citizens who need uh, drugs that are delivered via the mail and are very concerned because they're not getting them on time as they always have. They get social security checks. We have folks who get bills that need to be paid, and if they're not paid, there are penalties uh, for doing that. We're even hearing from the Veterans Administration that's concerned about how long it's taking for some of their drugs to get to the veterans for the service. It just uh, it, it is unacceptable what we are seeing these last few weeks. And now it seems to be correlated, as you mentioned, uh, to some policy changes brought about by the new Postmaster General, who was appointed uh, by President Trump. Uh, his main uh, qualification for this job is that he is a large political donor uh, for President Trump, now is in charge of the Postal Service, and has put in policies that folks in the post office, the, the letter carriers, the postal workers, are, are saying to me they've not seen uh, the, the mail pile up like it's happening now. And it's because of changes like reducing overtime dramatically. So when there is a surge of mail, they don't have the manpower to get it out. We're also seeing some of the transportation trucks that move mail as it piles up. They'll send an extra truck out because the Postal Service is always about get the mail out, move it right. continuously, move it as quickly as possible. And yet you're seeing these slowdowns, including not using processing machines as aggressively as they did before and forcing folks to hand sort mail. So, of course, it's going to start slowing down. And this is critical for everyday business. And it's unacceptable. So we need to get to the bottom of what exactly is happening here. Postmaster General DeJoy said this today. While I certainly have a good relationship with the President of the United States, the notion that I would ever make decisions concerning the Postal Service at the direction of the President or anyone else in the administration is wholly off base. Do you believe that? And is there a better explanation than the one you're offering? Inefficiencies that he asked for money and you didn't give it to them, um, you know, that this is just about um, making cuts in tough times? Well, it, certainly the, the Postal Service has a real strain, as all businesses do right now with coronavirus. That's why in the CARES Act, we appropriated a $10 billion line of credit to help the Postal Service uh, get through this. Unfortunately, the Treasury Department has delayed the ability for the Postal Service to get that uh, money. And quite frankly, uh, to have him uh, uh, say that he had no part of this, we we've had conflicting statements. Initially, he responded to an oversight letter that I sent, which uh, basically said uh, this is a local decision. It's not policy of the Postal Service. And then in a letter we just got Friday, they said, well, yes, this is a policy that we've uh, put forward. 
But the questions that weren't answered uh, and the questions that we asked were, well, did you actually study whether or not these changes would have any impact on the reliability of mail delivery or slow down the process? And what sort of oversight do you have to, if, if this isn't working, that you can immediately change to the types of standards that we saw previously? And they're silent. They're silent, which is why we need to get answers to these uh, questions. You mentioned uh, vote by mail. If, if, if it's slowing down now for everyday business, when you get a surge of ballots, as we just saw in Michigan, with record numbers of absentee ballots uh, cast uh, during our primary, and it's going to get even bigger in the general election, uh, we have to make sure we get this right. And the Postal Service has the capability to do that. The men and women who work at the, in the post office are an amazing folks who work hard. They're committed people. But if management decisions are being made to slow down the mail, impacting everyday citizens in their everyday business, as well as uh, slowing down the voting process, that is simply unacceptable. And we have to make sure that we call it out. And I know that you guys are also asking the inspector general to review the couple's holdings, the DeJoy couple. Uh, you believe that they have between 30 and $75 million in assets in USPS competitors or contractors, according to their financial disclosure forms. Concern? It is a it is a concern, and and the one reason uh, why we're concerned is I think if you if you look at the statements that President Trump uh, has made and the kinds of actions that we're seeing, we we understand that he basically wants to privatize. Uh, I believe he wants to privatize uh, the postal service. Uh, he uh, doesn't uh, want it to operate as it's uh, doing right now. So that raises another mm. long list of questions right. that we need to ask. Senator Peters, we'll stay on this, and you are welcome here to use the platform to argue the case for what you find. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Tonight we have a special second hour of prime time. Happy to do it because there's a lot of news. And yes, D. Lemon is often deservedly so. So thank you for spending this Friday night uh, with me. But I'll tell you, Friday night brings no relief these days, especially not from the president. He insists on pushing false narratives and we cannot fatigue on our fact finding. I know the temptation. I know he said it. You don't have to check it every time. Yes, I do. Because every time he says the pandemic is going to disappear, somebody believes it. And it makes them nonchalant in a way that can make them sick or other people sick. Cases are only up because of testing. That is BS. All right. And now there is a new line of deception that may be the most dangerous in a way. Here it is. We will be pursuing a major executive order requiring health insurance companies to cover all pre-existing conditions for all of its customers. This has never been done before. I'll tell you what bothers me. Somebody wrote that for him. Somebody thought it was okay to just lie to you. It has been done before. It's called Obamacare. We have protection for pre-existing conditions right now. Why does he need an executive order? He's not giving it to you. He's actively trying to take it away. No, Chris, he just said, I'm going to, no, he's lying. Okay. He doesn't have to give you pre-existing uh, condition protection in an executive order. You have a law. It's in the ACA right now. He's trying actively to overturn that law, which would take away the protection. And somebody wrote that the lack of shame is staggering. 161,000 dead in this country. We are desperate for protection. And he is lying to us about helping us when we already have what he says he's offering. Do something. 
take the mantle that you were given and exercise your power to help us with rapid testing. Make it all you talk about between now and the election. It will help you most. We have former Obamacare administrator Andy Slavitt back with us tonight. Andy, I got to tell you, I don't often say I don't get it. I usually I get exactly why he's saying what he's saying, what he's doing, what he's doing. Not this. And somebody wrote that for him. Someone like you, like some policy person atop a pyramid said, here, say this. Is there any truth to the idea that we need an executive order for pre-existing conditions to be protected and that this has never been done before? Other than never been done, meaning someone lying like this about something that's obvious in law. Of course not. If he was serious, he would drop the lawsuit that he's joined to get rid of pre-existing <clears throat> conditions, to get rid of the ACA, to, get, to, loot, to have 23 million people lose health care, to essentially cut, raise the price of prescription drugs. All those things could be easily done if he just basically said to the 19 attorneys general in this case, hey, let's drop this. This is not a good time to take health insurance coverage away from people. So this window dressing stuff is may, may play to his base and may, be, may convince people who barely skim the news, but it's complete crap. But how is it even window dressing? It's just a lie. He's not giving you anything that you don't already have. He may take it away if he wins the lawsuit. But what is he going to give in the executive order that we don't have? Well, in factually, nothing, because an executive order doesn't actually do anything. It directs an agency to actually do additional work. And as you said, they'd be doing work that's already been done. But the thing is, people don't know that. He has believed since the day he joined office, since the first day he got there, that he could basically sit in his office behind the desk, sign a piece of paper, and it would make America, Americans think he was actually doing something for them or accomplishing something for them. It's a hoax. Why doesn't he do this? What's your best guess at this? Understanding the players and the machinations of policy movement in the White House. Why doesn't he say, I'm signing an executive order today that I am directing the task force and all applicable agencies to unleash the powers of the Production Act and create everything we need for rapid testing, give money to companies, source the reagent if they have problems with the reagent, which I don't even believe, but okay, fine. Get them the reagent, give them the capital, give them an output contract. We'll buy as many of them as they can make. And we are going to have a syndicate with the states. Each state must give us a representative. And we're going to make sure that you get the test the way you need them. I'm running it all from here until the election. I'm getting our kids back in school. Couldn't he do that? You know, he, I, I'm kind of surprised to, to, that he hasn't done at least the first part of what you said. I'm surprised he hasn't sat in his Oval Office and said, here, at the stroke of a pen, Americans, you have testing. Uh, I, think, I think the reason he doesn't do that is because he's already told people that they have enough testing. And so doing that would be an admission that, that he didn't. Furthermore, I think he is very loath to take accountability. I talked to White House aides all during the week today, and they never present him an option where, where the, the option he chooses has him holding accountability for whether it works or not. All of it has to stay with the governors because it, it, in the end of the day, he's not confident that he can succeed because his team isn't willing to do all the work. See, that's the problem with policy guys like you, Slavit. You're not sneaky enough. Here's the play. The Slavits of the country working with governors stink. They haven't gotten it done. They don't know how to make things happen, baby. I do. I gave Cuomo and Newsom and all these guys time. Hogan, 
the wine. They know where they need to be. I'm going to get us the rapid tests. They said they wanted to do it. I let them do it. I said, let me know if you need help. They didn't come to me. It's a lie, but that's okay. That's what he does. I'm doing it now. I'm going to get us the rapid test. I'm going to make the UK look slow. I'm MAGA, baby. I'm bringing manufacturing back and I'm doing it with the tests. We're going to make them here. The whole world's going to buy our tests. There it is. I'm home. I think you're I think you're 90 percent right. I think the only thing he's waiting for, in my estimation, is he wants it to happen first and then he'll claim credit for it. So as soon as those tests are out there, you can be sure, I, in my view, that whether he signs an executive order or just stands up in his press conference, he will claim that he was the one that did it. So I think you're I think you're right. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, he 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 wants to always claim the latest success. He knows we're failing now. And so right now, I think it's probably too early for him to do that. But we got to get to scale. See, that's what that Georgia picture means, right? That governor down there, Kemp, uh, he's on the Trump train. You know, he's trying to do it the way that the president, ready or not, open, here we come. And this is what you get. And I don't blame the kids. I got one of them. I got a few of those animals. I got a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. I would expect them to do no differently. Um, if you say to them, go to school, it's fine. The mask is optional or whatever, if you think you need it. Who knows? If enough of their friends are being this way, they'll be this way. But how can people have confidence to send their kids back to school if you can't even count who's sick in any kind of real time? Yeah, I mean, we, we are seeing across the country, we're seeing Princeton, Georgetown, American University. Uh, you know, we're sending, we have a kid, we have a son who's going to be a freshman next year uh, at school in Philadelphia. They have yet to make the same decision. But given that, that now kids their age are seven times more likely um, to be uh, contracting the, the disease, and we know they spread it just as quickly, I find it very hard to believe that you're going to gather in places like Atlanta or Philadelphia or New York City uh, with a bunch of kids in their 20s and actually do that. I think you know, schools are probably going to get their tuition checks and then maybe think a little bit differently. Mm, or they better start giving that money back. The uh, two scary things. One, New Jersey Governor Murphy says 45 percent of the people called by New Jersey COVID-19 contact tracers are not complying. That's nearly half. What do we do about that? I talked to Governor Murphy and a couple of the other governors about this. And one of the problems is it's actually uh, related to ICE. Um, you know, the, oh. you call people in certain communities and tell them, name your friends that you've been around and surprise, surprise, people are scared of the government. So, you know, we have to try different tacks, including using local churches and local trusted organizations where people can talk because people are in no mood to trust the government right now, given what they've been through the last few I'll years. tell you There's what, I can hear the, I can feel the fringe right hitting their keyboards and saying, it's the brown menace making us sick, Slavit. You just said it. It's all those people. They're not complying. The rest of us are good. They're making us sick. The brown menace. They're making us sick. We've got to get them out of this country. I, I'm telling you, that's what they're going to say. Uh, hey, did you, anyway. hey, Andy, I know, but now they're going to say they have yeah. reason to. Anyway, um, I don't know if you watched last night, uh, but I had Alyssa Milano on. Alyssa Milano yes. is a friend of mine, and she was gold to me when I was sick. We FaceTimed each other all the time, and she was sick, brother. She was with me stride for stride and then some. She kept getting tested, and they kept saying she didn't have it. Then she had an antibody test, and they said she didn't have it. Only now, months after, she's still carrying some symptoms, though. Now she has the antibodies. So we know as a matter of science, if she's got the antibodies, she had the virus. 
How can testing stink that bad? And why should people have confidence in testing after her experience? Well, I was glad to see she's looking well. She's getting uh, there. She's, just she's looking, not 100%. Yeah. Yeah. She's look, looking better. Um, you know, I think the I think the reality is we are, you know, as Anthony Fauci said, there's really no excuse for where we are with testing. You know, the Chinese were able to test 11 million people in a weekend. Uh, so there, there's something we're not doing right and we're not doing well. We are, uh, we've got a few lab companies that basically are holding up, as, as we've talked about before, a lot of the labs. And the state of the art of these tests isn't what it should be. Uh, we, we talked about the governor in Ohio, DeWine, last night. With, with that mix up, we're, you know, we're, we're sort of at, at that stage. And furthermore, I think they're not testing for the most important things, which are T cells. You know, we have yet to develop an, uh, an assay or a test to see whether people have the T cells, which is the most important ingredient in long-lasting immunity. But isn't the most important test you have it or you don't have it? I mean, in terms of keeping the population safe? In terms of reducing the spread, the ability to test is critical. Now, if you can't, if after you test, you can't isolate people and you can't contact trace, testing is of limited value. But if you want to go back to school, if you want your kids to go back to school, if you want to vote in person, if you want to do any of those things, testing is the one thing that's going to make you feel safe. And that's, you're right, it's the kind of testing that tells you whether you have it or not. Yeah, I mean, look, God bless uh, Alyssa. You know, she knew she had it. So it didn't matter what they say to, said to her. She wouldn't be around her parents. You know, she was being careful about things. But who, a lot of people wouldn't have been. If they got told three different times, basically, you don't have it, you got pneumonia or whatever it was, you know, who knows how many people she could have contacted, especially as popular as she is. But, Andy, let me uh, say, as always, thank you for giving us a straight read on where we are and what it means for where we need to be. Appreciate it, brother. Stay healthy. All right. Now, here's another culture conflict. Sturgis. You ever hear the world famous motorcycle rally there, Sturgis in South Dakota? They're going to have it. A quarter million people are expected. This is live picture. And this isn't about the helmet debate. Uh, because look, let's face it, you wear a helmet. People make you wear helmets, seatbelts for you. Masks are about for other people. Okay. Now you got this culture conflict. It, it shouldn't be one, but it is thanks to Trump. A symbol of freedom colliding with the as yet unstoppable fury of COVID. We're gonna talk with a city official about what they expect and frankly, what they're bracing for. Next. Sturgis, South Dakota. It is a huge piece of Americana. The place has a population of 7,000, but every year it is flooded with hundreds of thousands of bikers. This year is the 80th, 80th sorry, annual Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, and it is happening whether the locals want it or not this year. Uh, one quick step sideways. This is not about me not liking motorcycle culture. I love bikes. I have a motorcycle license. I've had many bikes. Andrew's got two Harleys. My son has a motorcycle. My wife didn't like it, but it was too bad. It was one compromise we had to make. I love the whole culture. I love everything about it. All right. It's not about that. It's about safety. COVID-19 cases have been low in South Dakota and for obvious reason, they don't have the density, but so many people showing up, it's going to put a strain and it's going to put a strain on a place that doesn't have a lot of resources, especially if any of those visitors are infected and don't know it. All right. That takes us to Daniel Ainsley. He's been thinking about it. He's the city manager of Sturgis and we welcome him to primetime again, brother. You know, I'm not here to bring the hate. 
I love Sturgis. I love what it's about. I love its Americana. I love bike culture. I'm, you know, I'm all about it. Um, but how can I not be in a mild state of panic about what is going to visit your community? Well, of course, uh, there's concern, I think, for everyone. Um, there's a lot of concern for a lot of our residents here, but really what we're trying to do is be as proactive as possible. That really includes trying to encourage a lot of our residents not to take part in the festivities that they usually do. Um, it, it's a, a significant potential, but with that being said, you know, we're trying to keep um, people away as much as possible. A lot of our residents were actually doing all their shopping for them. So if residents uh, don't feel comfortable going to grocery stores or anything like that, being out and amongst all the travelers here, we do that for them. So as much as possible, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for our residents to um, be able to stay at home where it's safe. All right. So I got you on the 7,000. That's actually pretty cool. It, it, it'd be interesting to figure out how you scale up to buy groceries for you know anywhere near 7,000 people. <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, we have a lot of city employees. We have a tremendous number of volunteers. Everyone's uh, pitching in, and that's kind of the Western South Dakota uh, way of life of trying to help your neighbor, and everyone's doing that. Respect it. All right, so then you have this other little problem. 250,000 people who are coming in there who are not going to just necessarily listen uh, to you as locals. What have you done in terms of prophylaxis or protective measures for you know, this, uh, you know, this wave of humanity that's coming in there? Sure. So the things that we can try to do are to reduce a lot of the activities that cause the mass gatherings. We can only do that inside our city. This event, of course, takes place way beyond just our city limits. Right. Um, but we have gotten rid of all sorts of activities, um, our military appreciation um, activities, everything else that usually draw thousands of people into a very small crowd. We got rid of all that because we're trying to encourage more people, honestly, to be on their bikes and out riding and not necessarily gathered in mass crowds on our streets. You should sell masks that say support the military and give the money <laughs> to the local VFW. Um, and how well, has it been there's, received? There's masks available everywhere. How has yeah. it been received? Um, you know, I think people are being a lot more mindful than in the past. Uh, people are uh, keeping further distance away, but without a doubt, we attract a lot of people that are very freedom loving. And uh, there are people that are coming from states that have been heavily locked down for one reason or another, and they're looking forward to coming to a place where they can have their freedom and uh, be in Western South Dakota. So um, there is inherently some risk with that. You know, what's interesting about this is that you couldn't stop it. Uh, you don't you didn't you know, uh, you know, people were starting to bubble up and say, well, you know, this city manager, this mayor, these guys are dopes. You didn't want it, um, but you were unable to stop it. Explain that. Sure. I mean, as a city, we're not able to put up uh, blockades or anything else and keep people from coming in. Uh, there's literally nothing we could do to stop it, especially when you look at um, that. It has eight decades now of uh, tradition of people coming here. And uh, that was originally what the thought was, as we were talking with more and more uh, venues that are uh, next to our community that also host rally activities. And as we saw that um, really no one was interested in uh, postponing the event for the year, it became very obvious. Uh, as we were getting uh, emails and texts and all sorts of calls from people around America, the people were coming. So we just had to be prepared for it. I mean, we're seeing a lot of footage right now and there's not a mask in sight. Um, there are a lot of, there's a good amount, I'll say, of Trump signs around and they almost go hand in hand with people without masks. What do you make of uh, that marriage? No masks and supporting Trump. You know, I, I'm going to leave uh, 
politics to the side at this point. We're just trying to protect our community as much as possible. I think the reality is that there's a lot of visitors who end up coming here and for one reason or another, they feel like they've been locked down an awful lot in their uh, local states and their communities. And so this is their chance to be free. Uh, with that, we're trying to uh, encourage people to stay apart as much as possible. And also we have hand sanitizer available everywhere as much as possible. We've uh, we've introduced uh, regulations for um, the temporary vendors, but um, with that, it, it is obvious that some of the people that are coming here are not, um, you know, as careful as what, of course, we'd like. Yeah, I'll tell you what the opposite of freedom is. It's not a mask, it's sickness. As somebody who rides motorcycles and who's been sick, I'll tell you what, I'd take the mask any day of the week. Well, listen, uh, Daniel Ainsley, good luck. I hope uh, it is as uneventful as possible. I don't want to see anybody there being sick or being hurt. It's a beautiful part of Americana that happens in there for the most part. But this is some scary business. I mean, you know, we're not looking for footage of people without masks. It's all over us um, when we're trying to examine what's happening there. Good luck to you. Thanks very much. Stay well. All right. Now, look, the president, I'm telling you, I don't get it. And I rarely say that. If I were he, if you were he, you'd be all over the pandemic. It's all people care about. Instead, where is he? Started the weekend early. He's at one of his golf resorts. Because, you know, it's not like he needs to be anywhere else. Or maybe because there are some new polls out that he might actually believe. I've got the Wizard of Odds here on a Friday night. Don't worry, he had nowhere else to be. About what there are in some new poll numbers and why Trump could have reason for hope. Next. President Trump is in bad shape when you look at the polls, certainly based on historical political precedent. You don't see um, really more than maybe one, two pulling out anything like where he is right now. But I'm telling you, don't count him out. Why? Because this is a different period than we've lived through before. Things happen quickly. So many of you are so disaffected. There's so little a reservoir of any type of hope that one thing is better than another. He definitely trails Biden in poll after poll nationally. Uh, and yes, in a bunch of key battleground states, he is even to down in places that he absolutely needs to win. But there is an important upside for Trump. And I mentioned to this before, and Harry and I want to flesh it out for you now. I think this is really important. OK, we've seen in about the last month or so, as horrible as things are, as it's gotten more clear that we're on the wrong course, largely because of his inaction, He's not losing ground anymore. Harry Enten, the Wizard of Oz, is here. Now, the question that I put to you is, is he not losing ground anymore because there's only so low you can go? Or is it a sign that maybe perspective on him hasn't bottomed out and that there is room for improvement? I mean, look, I think the key question here, first off, let's get the polls on the screen and just give you an idea of what we're talking about. You know, look, he was down 10 about a month ago. And now he's down about eight in the average of polls. And I think what has happened, in all honesty, Chris, is that what you saw was a steep decline from about, say, mid-May to mid-June, right when the protest started after the killing of George Floyd. And what's essentially happened is race relations as an important issue has kind of shifted away, right? The protests have kind of quieted down. The press covering it has kind of quieted down. And that was Trump's worst issue. He's very bad on the coronavirus, but not nearly as bad on race relations. 
And the other thing I'll point out is, look, the economy is still in poor shape, but it is getting back jobs. So a slight improvement on the economy, less focus on race relations. And I think the result that you see is what's on your screen right now. Let's take a look at it by race. Right. So this to me is the most fascinating thing that's going on right now in our political environment, right? If you take a look at the live interview polls, you get what you might expect, right? Trump is winning with white voters. Biden's winning with African-Americans and Hispanics. But what's so interesting is that the big Biden gains from 2016 are actually among white voters, which I think, again, is simpatico with the idea that the protests after the death of George Floyd, the killing of George Floyd, what you saw was a lot of white voters who traditionally might have stayed on the sidelines, you actually saw them out of the protest. Meanwhile, Biden has always struggled with younger African-Americans, and he also struggled with Hispanics during the primary. But I think the key takeaway here is the traditional political lines that we're so used to might be sort of crossing each other in a way that, to be honest, we haven't seen in recent political history. Although I have to say, uh, the black vote is fundamentally important for Joe Biden. Uh, And yes, you know, the the president sweating whites uh, is not going to help him. But Joe has to he needs an all in strategy with his base. And if there's attrition there, not only is that shocking, given the state of play in our society, but that's a problem for Biden. Our battleground states, that's all we really should care about. In fact, it's really just about, what, 35 counties that we should be looking at really closely in this election. But what do you see in the battlegrounds? Right. You know, look, the the three most important battleground states in my mind are those in the Great Lakes, right? Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, those were part of the blue wall back in 2012, right? That Trump kind of busted through in 2016. And I think the key nugget here is look at white voters and white voters without a college degree. Those are supposedly Trump's base, right, in the Rust Belt. And what we see is significant movement towards Biden among those voters. He's actually leading among white voters overall in that group. But we've seen a double digit attrition from Trump's support back in 2016. So again, I think this is consistent with the national picture. And the idea may be, you know, yes, Biden is losing a little bit of his base, but Trump is losing even more of his, especially in places he cannot afford to lose. How good are the polls? Margin of error. Yeah. This to me is really interesting. You know, I spend my days in spreadsheets. You spread your days working out. I spread my days in spreadsheets. And one of the things that I think is so worrisome to a lot of folks were those state polls weren't necessarily all that accurate in 2016. And what I should say is that normally the state polls are really good. The average error since 1972 is just plus or minus three percentage points. But there is the potential, as there was in 2016, as there will be in 2020, of a large margin of error. The true margin of error, 95 percent confidence interval, plus or minus nine points. So even when we get to the end, I would never feel so secure if I were a Democrat, even if the lead is as large as it is right now. Strange things do, in fact, happen. Biggest X factor for you, and then I have an, a little bit of a different question for you. What is the biggest factor to watch between now and the election that could make the biggest impact? I mean, look, it's coronavirus. I, I, I don't even... Why? I, Why I isn't it Biden saying something kind of like what he said, whatever it was today or yesterday, about how Latinos are much more diverse a community than blacks? I mean, look, obviously, but here's, here's the thing. Both of the nominees are not exactly, say... Sophocles or Pericles or any of these Greek guys who really knew how to speak. That's not what they are. I'm not that either. And the fact is, is we saw Joe Biden run for how many months in the primary saying strange things every day that weren't necessarily cooth and it didn't really affect him. I tend to think that those types of things don't necessarily matter. What people care about is whether or not they can carry on their everyday lives in as normal a fashion as possible. And if coronavirus cases as our large 
as are large on Election Day as they are right now, I'm not really quite sure that Trump can pull it off. I don't think it's just the pandemic, because I actually think that there's a little bit of like everything else we see fatigue. Um, with the pandemic. I think it's schools. Schools, you know, you're still a young guy, but in the family game, your kids, their safety, their connection to your ability to do what you need to do for them most of the time is everything. If the school picture gets screwed up, I think it's going to have major implications. Now, you look really put together. You got the bookcase behind you, your hair's brushed, you got the jacket on. Do me a favor. Can you move the camera about seven feet off your right shoulder. Oh, I know what you want to do. You want me to basically show this, yeah. which is all the Keep way going. over here. Keep going. Yeah, that's what I wanted people to see. Okay, you are fake news. Do you understand? You are not this buttoned-up professor. You don't even know the books that are behind you. You don't like. Oh, them. I have no idea what those books <laughs> right. are. Are you crazy? So, you know, you want to take a shot at me about the gym? God forbid I try to make myself stronger after almost going down with COVID. But I just wanted him to get the full picture of your reality, my handsome young friend. I'm the nutty professor, Harry Enton. I love you. Have a great weekend, brother. Be well, my friend. Happy birthday, buddy. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you see that? You see, not everything's as it seems. All right. The man in charge of getting your mail out vows there won't be any slowing down of election materials. He has to say that, though, because we have a president spouting conspiracy theories about mail-in voting. But there are questions about the postmaster general's independence and controversy from his announcement today. This matters. The facts next. Now, as we reported earlier, top Democrats are calling for the inspector general to investigate the U.S. Postal Service. Why? Because the agency announced a number of proposed changes, including a hiring freeze. Well, times are tough. Is that the answer? The agency's top official says the changes are needed to cut costs. But Jessica Dean took a look at what these cost-cutting measures could mean for you. More changes at the U.S. Postal Service. Under new leadership from Trump ally and donor Louis DeJoy, the U.S. Postal Service announced today it will be instituting a management hiring freeze and requesting future buyouts. The moves are exactly the kind of thing Democrats on the Hill have asked the USPS not to do. I'm proud of our postal workers across America, but they've got a hand tied behind their back with this new leadership. Today, congressional Democrats led by Senator Elizabeth Warren called for the U.S. Postal Service Inspector General to investigate operational changes at the USPS. We have little faith that they're not trying to politicize the post office. The USPS says the measures were to cut costs, but postal workers and unions claim it's led to a slowing of the mail and could potentially impact vote by mail in the fall something the Postmaster General denies. Despite any assertions to the contrary, we are not slowing down election mail or any other mail. In their letter, the lawmakers say the Postal Service has become a political football and described the service's response to congressional requests as, quote, seriously lacking. They also want the IG to look into any business conflicts DeJoy may have. DeJoy took the helm of the Postal Service on June 15th. He's the first Postmaster General in decades to come to the job without any prior experience working within the U.S. Postal Service. He contributed about $1.2 million to the Trump Victory Fund dating back to August 2016, according to Federal Election Commission filings. 
I can't imagine the post office could do it. All of a sudden, they're supposed to be dealing in millions of ballots. Financials filed earlier this year by DeJoy's wife, Aldana Voss, who was nominated to be ambassador to Canada, also show potential conflicts of interest, including a financial stake in UPS, a postal service competitor. They also show tens of millions of dollars in income and assets derived from holdings in shipping logistics company XPO, which acquired DeJoy's former company in 2014. XPO is a current contractor for the U.S. Postal Service. DeJoy responded to accusations of political influence for the first time publicly today. While I certainly have a good relationship with the President of the United States, the notion that I would ever make decisions concerning the Postal Service at the direction of the President or anyone else in the administration is wholly off base. A U.S. Postal Service spokesperson tells me as Postmaster General, DeJoy is not required to divest of any particular asset. But if a conflict arises, he may be required to divest if the Postal Service determines uh, that he cannot recuse himself. But the spokesperson also tells me that DeJoy has followed all ethics regulations. Chris? All right, Jessica, thank you very much. I want to play something for you right now. Um, we're going to take a little commercial break. And... This is my tease for you to come back. If I were you, I would. Here's why. It is very important that you understand in your evaluation of this president what is fair and unfair about him. What people say about the president uh, should be measured and tested because people don't like him. People have agendas. People want other people to win. But what he says himself to people when he doesn't know that the rest of us are listening, now that can matter. We have tape of him on a hot mic before his press conference. I want you to hear how he describes his situation and what's going on to a group of people in his own words. Next. It's Friday night, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You might think that the president would be in a situation room trying to figure out how to get us testing so less of us die, but instead he's at his golf club in Bedminster. So why did he suddenly call a press conference? Well, to lie to you about the nature of the coronavirus threat, which he really believes is his ticket to winning again. Lying to you in a way that actually threatens your children. That's his bread and butter. That's his best play. I think it's terrible. I think there's such a better play for him that's actually the truth and his responsibility, but he doesn't want to play it. The question is why? I keep asking people, why is he doing this? Why is he ignoring this? And I don't get a lot of good answers right? Why would he take time to talk to you about a BS executive order to protect people with pre-existing conditions when he knows people like me are going to blow it up? We already have protection for pre-existing conditions. He's the one trying to take it away. Why would he sign an executive order that means nothing when there's already a law in place that gives something at the same time he's fighting to take it away? Because he's lying to you. Because he wants to manipulate you and distract you from the desperation of our reality. Now, what does that say about him? Nothing that he doesn't say about himself. He gave us the answer to how he sees where we are right now and what matters when he didn't know he was being recorded. Or if he did, you know, he's really whacked to Thailand and in a heavy state of Yosemite. He was talking to a crowd of true believers before a news conference, asking them to come in, you know, more crowd. He was caught on a hot mic. There's no video, but I want you to hear where he's coming from and talking to these people and what matters to him. Listen to this. 
Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Thank you. So, we're going to do a press conference, and I thought you were here. You might as well come in and see. Uh, you'll get to meet the fake news tonight. You'll get to see what I have to go through. Who's there? Oh, all, all, all my killers are there. Wow. So you'll get to see some of the, uh, the, the people that we deal with every day. It's like a history lesson for your children. Tell your children about it. But um, we have a lot of good news about the economy. A lot of good things happened today. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a press conference. So that's it. So enjoy it, and we'll be out in a little while. My takeaways. So you wouldn't have a press conference when we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are desperate for your help unless you had some good news to spin. Then, by the way, in that press conference, he lied to you about giving you protection. He's giving you nothing. He's trying to take it. And he is refusing to act in a way that we desperately need. I don't care what he says about the media. That's okay. He's free to feel that way. So are you. But inviting people in when they're barely wearing masks at a time when we're trying to convince people to do it, he never mentioned anything about the urgency of our reality. It is what it is, Mr. President. It's a pandemic. And you are who you are. You don't give a damn. I'm coming back after this with the final installment in our special series of life lessons. I'm turning 50 this weekend. (laughs) I'm okay. Next. All right, I'm going to be 50 on Sunday. Thank you so much for making me feel good about it. In truth, I'm not bothered by the age. I got a lot of other things to worry about right now. I'm building myself back up from where I was before I got sick. Uh, But here's my fifth lesson, and I think it's the one that matters most. There are two words that mean everything in life, and you have to say them every day, and they apply to everything that happens in your life, good and bad. Ready? Thank you. Every day for me is a form of prayer. To me, it's about God. If for you, it can be whatever you value. Thank you, God, for my health, for the health of my kids most of all, for another day, for the challenges, for the sickness, for the stress, for the failure, the disappointment, the moments of despair, the darkness, the moments I have had even recently where I was not sure about why I needed to be here. Why? Because in those moments, I was forced to dig deep and find a rationale for my existence. And it came in the ultimate reality that I am here for things that are bigger than myself. I am not interested in me. I am not interested in popularity or success. I'm interested in helping other people achieve their best selves, starting with my kids and my wife, my family and the family that I choose. So I say thank you when we got hit by an IED in Iraq, the bullets that flew our way, the bombs that we have seen, the deaths, the disaster that I've seen and smelled and I have suffered through with families because I know the darkness and I thank that opportunity so that I can help you face it and help you understand what this world can be about when we're at our worst. I say thank you for allowing me for whatever reason to have so much more than I deserve. And I don't deserve it, I'm not special, I'm not unique. There's nothing about me that entitles me to anything more than anybody else. I'm flawed and too often fixed in those flaws. So I say thank you 
for allowing me a life of opportunity and the grace to continue it to this day. I say thank you to my team that makes this show what you get to see every night that held me up when I was down. I say thank you to my mother for showing me to this day how to love and how to be loving. I say thank you to my father for continuing to be a light in my life and a constant source of hope that I can be anything like he was. I thank my siblings for putting up with me. I thank my brother for being the example that he is to me. I thank my wife for creating everything that is of value to me in this life. If not for her, there would be nothing that would be worth my while here. To my kids, to my team, to my friends, everything I do in life that's right, I do because I want to be right for you. And that includes all of you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I may not be the best, I may not be the smartest, I may not get it right, but I swear to you, nobody will ever outwork me in doing the job for you because I owe you. You've given me an opportunity I never imagined I would have. And you've embraced this show in a way that no one thought you would. So thank you. Thank you for giving us the chance. Thank you for giving me the chance. And thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with the upgrade, Laura Coates in for D. Lemon right now. Oh, Chris, that was beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for that. That was so touching. All week long, I, you know, I've looked forward to hearing your life lessons and what's yet to come. I did make you a cake, but unfortunately, I love cake, and so I <laughs> ate the cake. But Good. I thought of you. You while did I me ate a favor. <laughs> you did me a favor because it's the last thing I need right now. I'm shaped like the wrong kind of fruit. <laughs> it was a great cake. I believe it. And I, I, I really did think of you as the frosting was, you know, everywhere and all the crumbs. But I want you to know all the crumbs that you think you're giving people are really so much more. And you're so humble. And I appreciate you so much. And I wish you the happiest of birthdays. I'm not Marilyn Monroe, despite the dress. So I'm not going to sing to you, but happy birthday. Let me tell you something. What you are is an inspiration. It is a great, great ability as an anchor to have someone they know they can lean on with tough questions and tough situations and get an analysis that will drive a conversation forward. That's why you're one of our best. Thank you for being good to me. I know Don appreciates you being here as well, although, man, are you an upgrade. <laughs> well, I appreciate all of you, and thank you, and happy birthday. Thank you very much. 50 years. Life. 50 years, and not a day the over ferret 22. still holds. Look at Look that. that. Stitched Look at that. in. Yep. It's all you. It's, be oh, yeah. it's beautiful. Paid it's beautiful. a lot of money for that rug. A lot of money. I really feel like if, at 50, all of a sudden you're going to come in with a red tie, and then we're going to see something. <laughs> yeah, right. It'll uh, be extra uh, long to make uh, me look slim. <laughs> Have a good night. Well, thank you. You too. Have a great weekend. And Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.